Okay, Molly is out again today. She got the Omicron, but she's doing great. Nothing to worry about there. I'm going to break down on today's show the Oath Keeper indictments from the January 6th insurrection. They were caught by having their encrypted signal messages compromised. So I'm going to explain how that happened because uh, nobody seems to know. And is there a backdoor? I don't think so. I'm going to explain to you my theory. And I'm going to read some excerpts from the indictment, which are read like uh, a Homeland reboot. They're insane. And then I'm going to talk about Google, Facebook, Reddit, and Twitter being subpoenaed by the House Committee investigating the Capitol riots. And are they withholding information? Or is the House Committee uh, being a little too broad in their requests? Are they responsible? We're going to go take a look at that and do a deep dive. And then an awesome OK Boomer segment. Stick with us. It's a great episode. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Our Crowd. Our Crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist. Indochino makes custom fitted suits, shirts and casual wear at affordable prices. Shop for your next best look or book a virtual style consultation at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using code TWIST at checkout. And Bubble empowers people to design and launch their own apps, marketplaces or tools without needing coding skills or pricey engineers. The first 500 listeners will get one month free on any of Bubble's paid plans from $29 a month up to $529 a month at bubble.io slash twist. All right, everybody, in our first story, uh, and there is a tech angle here. On Thursday, the FBI arrested 11 members of the Oath Keepers on sedition charges. Uh, And the indictment is, just to use a word, insane. The New York Times reported the leader of the far-right organization Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes, uh, was one of the people arrested. He's the person with the eye patch, who you see all the time at Trump rallies or protecting Trump, etc. Prosecutors said it was a wide-ranging plot to storm the Capitol on January 6th to disrupt the certification of Biden's win. Uh, important note for this story, a portion of the Oath Keepers communication occurred on Signal. And now, of course, if you're listening to this being startups, you know that's an encrypted chat app that is not supposed to have any backdoors. And it's not supposed to keep any user data. But according to the indictment, just two days after the election, Rhodes said the following on Signal, we aren't getting through this without a civil war. Too late for that. Prepare your mind, body, and spirit. A month after Election Day, Rhodes wrote the following on Signal. It'll be a bloody and desperate fight. We are going to have a fight. That can't be avoided. So let's pause on this and just digest. The Oath Keepers were caught because somehow the government obtained their encrypted signal messages. Everybody who is in the press is trying to figure this out, and there's hand-wringing. It's pretty obvious. According to the CNBC article, It's not clear how investigators actually got access to the encrypted messages. So does the government have a backdoor and signal? Of course they don't, right? It'd be very unlikely that they do. Possible, but not probable. What really is going on here? And you know this because you probably had people do this in your life uh, or have thought about it yourself. There's a mole inside the Oath Keepers, obviously. And they're obviously screen recording or sending screenshots to the feds. And according to the indictment, Oath Keepers specifically recruit former military and law enforcement personnel. So if you were to recruit somebody in law enforcement or the military, and that was your target, it's possible that one of them 
would have put themselves out there to be recruited. In other words, I work for the FBI, I formally, or I'm a CIA person, whatever, I'm a spook, you know, in whatever context, I'm a double agent. So I start posting to Oath Keepers message boards on Facebook, yada, yada, I'm active in a subreddit, wherever they're hanging out. And that person uh, is either flipped, or they set themselves up to be recruited. You get the idea. So uh, through their lawyers, members of the Oath Keepers facing charges are claiming they were part of a security detail hired to protect conservatives like Roger Stone. Now, I'm going to do a little reading here. And again, I don't want this to be political left versus right. This is just about a group of crazy people. Full stop. These people are nuts. And, uh, you know, there have been many left wing crazy organizations. You may be too young to remember them, but we had uh, the Black Panthers and the Weather Underground and the BLA. So all these organizations were violent left organizations. They sought change through violence and overthrowing the government, in fact, was part of the left's agenda in the 60s. These radical groups, which made it into the 70s and 80s, literally had on their agenda. We have to fight the government. That's how crazy they were, uh, or inspired if you believe that our government is a tyranny and needs to be stopped. Uh, I do not think that. I think we have a pretty great democracy here that's worth protecting. So let me just read you what is in this essentially Homeland Season 5 or 6. Like this is literally the reboot of Homeland. Beginning in, and this is from the indictment. Uh, from the Department of Justice. Uh, beginning in late December 2020, via encrypted and private communication applications, Rhodes and various co-conspirators coordinated and planned to travel to Washington, D.C. on or around January 6, 2020, the date of the certification of the Electoral College vote. Some members of Oath Keepers believe that the federal government has been co-opted by a cobble of elites actively trying to strip American citizens of their rights. Cuckoo. They explicitly focus on recruiting current and former military law enforcement and first responder personnel. The organization's name alludes to the oath sworn by members of the military and police to defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. They coordinated travel across the country to enter Washington, D.C. This all checks out, right? We all saw this with our own eyes. And we saw them trying to fly home and getting, you know, deplaned because they didn't want to have terrorists on planes. Wow, what a radical concept equipped themselves with a variety of weapons, donned combat and tactical gear, and were prepared to answer Rhodes' call to take up arms at his direction. I'm reading literally from this uh, indictment. Some co-conspirators also amassed firearms on the outskirts of Washington, D.C., distributed them among QRF, Quick Reaction Force Teams. So these are military people who were amassing firearms, putting them outside of washington dc just out the outskirts so they didn't get caught so they were ready to do quick reaction forces like they were basically making their own seal teams their own strike team and plan to use back to quoting and plan to use the firearms in support of their plot to stop the lawful transfer of presidential power now let's read some quotes from the indictment regarding the day of the insurrection around 2 30 p.m i'm quoting now Members of the Oath Keepers, many of whom were wearing paramilitary clothing and patches with the Oath Keepers name, logos, and signet, yes, we saw that, marched in a stack formation called Stack One up the east steps of the Capitol to the outside of the Capitol Rotunda doors. At the time, the doors were closed and guarded by Capitol Police officers. Stack One joined the mob of people, some of whom attacked officers and tried to enter the Capitol. As a side note, I tweeted these videos, like they literally beat cops within inches of their lives, the cops did not draw their guns, right? I'm not quoting here. I'm just giving you some color commentary. These cops are heroes for not drawing their guns and shooting these people, because if they had, 
there would have been dozens of people dead because they had plenty of firearms to, to fight this fight. And this, these brave cops literally let themselves be beaten to not have to shoot Americans who were beating them and hitting them with pepper spray and bear spray and all kinds of stuff. So let's continue reading. Um, they yelled, among other things, take their shields and our house. Uh, attackers assaulted officers using pepper spray flagpoles and numerous improvised weapons and projectiles. They also disarmed the officers by stealing their shields and pushing them away from the rotunda doors. At 2.38 p.m., the doors were breached and Stack 1 stormed into the Capitol alongside the mob. During the attack on the Capitol, the rotunda doors and surrounding facades suffered damage worth thousands of dollars. Another quote from the indictment, while certain Oath Keeper members and affiliates outside Washington, D.C. breached the Capitol grounds and building, others remained stationed just outside the city in QRF teams. Again, QRF, Quick Reaction Force. It is a military term from an armed rapid response unit used in developing situations. Back to quoting, the QRF teams were prepared to rapidly transport firearms and other weapons into Washington, D.C. in support of operations aimed at using force to stop the lawful transfer of presidential power. Um, and we've seen uh, big tech uh, not comply with government requests uh, from time to time. Remember in 2016, the court case of the FBI wanted to unlock the San Bernardino's, uh, those terrorists' iPhones, and Apple declined to do that. FBI used a third party, I believe it was an Israeli company, and related, big tech is getting called out by the government over the January 6th attack. It's time for another R Crowd deal of the week. Right now, you can join R Crowd's investment in Blue Tree. According to the deal memo, Blue Tree has developed a process to significantly reduce the sugar in any natural liquid. Fascinating. This lowers health risks while retaining great taste. And Blue Tree has already signed a five year, 100 million liter contract with an industry leader, according to their deal memo. Speaking of investments in amazing startups, it's clear that all over the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Well, our crowd analyzes many of these startups across the entire global private market. Then they select companies with the greatest growth potential and bring them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity to robotics, one of my favorite, quantum computing and more. In state-of-the-art labs, startup garages and anywhere in between. Our crowd identifies innovators so that you can invest when growth potential is greatest. And that's early. So here's your CTA, the old call to action. If you're an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist, T-W-I-S-T. And you can review all the current deals. There's no payment involved until you decide to invest. So go sign up for free and check out those deal memos at rcrowd.com slash twist. Let, let me give you my take on this. Obviously, this was all coordinated online and they were using Signal. And uh, a lot of the information from Big Tech hasn't been given over yet. But to just make this not political, we need to assess this as Americans. And uh, I'll just, you know, for those of you who care about my position, um, I think most of the people um, who stormed the Capitol were caught up in basically mob behavior, group behavior, and they probably did little to no damage. So anytime you bring up what happened uh, at the Capitol on January 6th, there's like, oh, it was like a party. It was like an out of control party. Some people will say riot. Other people say insurrection. And we got this big debate over terms. Okay, two things could be true. The majority of people there were probably just caught up in mob behavior. And yes, some of them might have walked between the stanchions, the velvet ropes, uh, and done no damage. And some of them might have done silly things like steal a lectern or, you know, do very little damage. Other ones, you know, were, were, were doing serious damage and it was gross. And, and then obviously there was a lot of criminal behavior, 700 arrests to date. And now this, uh, the insurrection charges, basically. 
But the second idea that you have to be able to keep in your head is that there were a group of people who had a very dangerous plan, who drove across the country, acquired weapons, set up a military operation, um, and they were willing, like uh, Ashley uh, Babbitt is her name. She died on January 6th. We, most of you have seen this video, tragically, and she was a military person. And Secret Service had their guns drawn on her and were begging her to not reach the Capitol's like, third doors. And the rumors are there were uh, politicians that the Secret Service were protecting, potentially Pence, potentially Pelosi. And they were searching for Pelosi and chanting for Pence and Pelosi's names. This woman was so deranged and so had such conviction that she literally took a bullet in her neck, I believe, and died. And when you have people acting in a mob, they uh, can get so fermented with rage that they stop thinking clearly. And literally, this poor woman, Ashley, jumped through that window and took a bullet and died with the Secret Service pointing multiple guns at her. And you've seen the video. Uh, that's how crazy this was. And if you're willing to beat up cops and take a bullet, you can be certain that they would have beaten and potentially killed politicians. And we would be looking at this saying, you know what, this was, you know, more than just a riot. This was more than just a out of control protest. Uh, and what we have to think about is when did this happen? And who are these people? This is a terrorist organization, Oath Keepers. These, this is a radical terrorist organization, no different than the weather underground on the left, no different than Al Qaeda, we could debate their abilities, we could debate if Black Lives Matter and, and the riots we saw during those protests were justified. I don't believe they are. I don't believe any violence is justified. Um, but this is serious, serious, dangerous stuff. And uh, for me, I, I just look at this and said, well, they had an option here. These individuals could have taken an option to do a peaceful protest. In other words, the Oath Keepers who were coordinating all of this and who were obviously protecting Roger Stone and Roger Stone is besties with Trump. This whole group of people could have said, you know, what, we're gonna take a peaceful approach here. And we would look at this through a completely different lens. Had those people said, we're going to surround the Capitol. We're going to sit down. We're going to lock arms. We're going to handcuff ourselves to each other. And we're not leaving. And we're going to chant and protest and bang drums, just like all the hippie dippies do when they're protesting an oil pipeline, or they're protesting uh, to save the whales or wrapping themselves around some old growth trees. This is what environmentalists do. By the way, this is what Martin Luther King did. Right? Peaceful protest. If you cannot be peaceful, do not join the protest. Stay home. That's what Martin Luther King instructed people to do. These people took an opposite approach. Just like the Weather Underground takes an opposite approach on the left. And this approach is, let's go there. Let's seize the building. Let's have weapons ready. And let's beat cops. And, and let's go find these people and uh, do physical harm to them. And that's really what's disturbing about this. And we need to be able to look at this through the lens of what were the options these people had to protest if they really felt passionate about it? And what options did they choose? And they chose violence. And uh, that's never acceptable. And it really, you don't have to even, you could be a Republican and say this is shameful. You could have voted for Trump and say this is shameful. Uh, you could be against the Black Lives Matter protests and the violence we've seen there and still think this is shameful. I think you have to be intellectually honest about this. That's what I try to do in, in summarizing this speech for all of you, which is violence is immoral. And violent protest is immoral. Okay, uh, in related news, the House Select Committee investigating the attacks on the U.S. Capitol. This is different than the criminal charges the DOJ uh, is pursuing with the FBI. They issued subpoenas to tech companies that provided inadequate response to their request for information, as I mentioned above. 
Uh, I believe this is these small group of people, the Oath Keepers, which I think there are 30,000 members, 40,000 members in this group, and who knows how many were there, probably hundreds or if not thousands. Uh, we'll figure that out over time. In a statement, the committee said YouTube, Meta, Reddit, and Twitter did not provide proper information and records on the spread of misinformation, efforts to overturn the 2020 election, domestic violent extremism, and foreign influence in the 2020 election. Committee Chairman Representative Thompson, a Democrat from Mississippi, said in the statement, quote, two key questions from the select committee are how the spread of misinformation and violent extremism contributed to the violent attack on our democracy. And what steps, if any, social media companies took to prevent their platforms from being breeding grounds for radicalizing people to violence? It's dis disappointing that after months of engagement, we still don't have the documents and information necessary to answer these basic questions. The select committee is working to get answers. For the American people and help ensure nothing like January 6 ever happens again, we cannot allow our important work to be delayed any further. So we really don't have enough information here. Um, and we don't know exactly what the platforms didn't give or if the requests from our government and from this committee are so broad that they're impossible. So if you said, hey, explain to us how people got radicalized online, that seems very general. Now, if you said, hey, here is an Oath Keepers group. And we know these are an Oath Keepers group because the DOJ identified these 10 leaders and six of them are in this group and four of them are in this group. And we know they're involved in these groups. Give us that information. That's a pretty easy request for information. Here, the path to radicalization seems like very broad, right? Um, and then what did they do to prevent it? I'm not sure uh, people talking about the fact that they believe the election was stolen or there might be voting irregularities. I don't think you can police that because that's a valid discussion. Like we probably have had the discussion here on this week and started many times of are these voting machines uh, hackable? Like that's a completely valid discussion. So I'm going to give the um, tech companies a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here because we don't know exactly how broad these are. Uh, but in the statement, uh, the committee reported YouTube had live streams of the attack along with conversations pertaining to the planning of the attack. So those should be public. If they were live streams, they should be publicly available. All you have to do is say, give us everything on this IP address on this day, January 6th, from this hour to this hour in this geolocation. Very simple. Uh, meta platforms, uh, that's Facebook, uh, were used to share messages of hate, violence, incitement, misinformation, disinformation, conspiracy theories. We're used to coordinate Stop the Steal movement. Stop the Steal, as you know, is a far right or maybe conservative movement supporting the conspiracy theory that there was massive vote of, of fraud in the 2020 election uh reddit's are the donald community was the origin for the website the donald.win which hosted discussions and plans for the attack so you know it's it's pretty hard to talk to these platforms just like it'd be very hard to go to verizon you know or to moleskin if people were taking notes in their books and say hey can we get the notes on how these people were radicalized it's like well we're verizon or we make you know journals this is like one step more detailed so in the example of YouTube, as I explained, they could find the information, but it's kind of hard to find a discussion in people's Gmail or on a message group about this. Twitter, of course, was used to communicate about plans for the attacks. That's no surprise. Everybody coordinates on Twitter um, and to amplify all these things. So in looking at this, I think the framing by the committee or these Democrats, I think the framing is probably to make tech look like bad guys here. But the truth is, it might just be hard to give them what they're asking for. It's very easy to give them very specific things, give us all the activity and DMs between this group of people on these dates. That's easy. Give us everybody whose IP addresses and we're posting from 
the uh, Capitol building pretty easy. And they did. And that's why 700 people have been arrested or have had charges against them. I think they settled a lot of those before they got to the Oath Keepers. In 2022, let Indochino take care of your new wardrobe. With Indochino, you can customize everything from your suits to your shirts to your chinos and bomber jackets. And you can do it all at surprisingly affordable prices. I have a number of Indochino suits. I love them. And the process is amazing. You can go to the store and they will do a perfect fitting with you. They put all your measurements in. You can change every little detail. You can do the liners and pockets. Everything is customizable. So you look like a million bucks, but you don't got to spend a million bucks. I love it. And then when you want to order more, you just go online. They got all your measurements. Okay, you're all set. And what happens if you're like me, you lose 25 pounds. Well, you go back in, they tighten things up for you. They can do alterations. It's very simple. They offer completely custom fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more. So you can get a wardrobe personalized to your style and taste without spending that fortune. Every piece is made to your exact measurements so you can customize every detail. Everything about your suit, the fabric, the lapel, the monogram, and those statement linings that I love so much that nobody notices until you take your jacket off and you fold it inside out, which is the power move to protect your suit. And then they see that beautiful lining. It's a statement lining. And people go, where'd you get that suit? You give them a wink. It's custom. Indochino. So you know you can create a suit that fits you and your style perfectly. And it really is about that fit. When you have a perfect fit, your confidence goes up. Everybody notices, hey, that suit looks great because it fits so well. The suit started just $449, I kid you not. And shirts, $79. All the customizations are included, so give yourself a style edit that sets the tone for the rest of the year with Indochino. Get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using my promo code TWIST at Indochino.com. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more. That's more than 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com and use the promo code TWIST. Uh, next up on the program, uh, we have an OK Boomer segment uh, with Alex Mazmej. He is a French entrepreneur who raised $20,000 in a personal token sale back in 2020. He sold 10% of the dollar sign Alex token supply against $20,000. And he allows token owners to vote on major life decision and is giving them 15% of his salary for three years. Fascinating. So if he were to make 100000 a year, that would be 45000 They paid in for 20000 I guess they would double their money. Uh, so he's basically selling his future income, like an income sharing arrangement, uh, which we've seen before ISIS like uh, Lambda school does and other uh, nursing schools do now you can uh, get a free degree or a discounted degree, and then pay it back from your salary. The price of the Alex token as of January 13th was 11 cents and the total market cap is unknown since the token is unlisted. He raised 20,000 in about four days. So I think this is fascinating. Rachel, uh, what was the conversation like? The conversation went extremely well. This actually has to be probably my favorite, favorite conversation I've had thus far. I found Alex from Twitter after asking everyone who's the best Gen Z in the NFT community. And he was recommended time and time again. He was recommended quite a few times. Overall, he was just really well-spoken, absolutely knew his stuff, and was able to explain everything to me in really simple details, which I loved because I think some of this stuff is a little over my head. So I mm. hope everybody enjoys this. Amazing. What a great idea. I, for one, love the idea of young people, maybe not selling in perpetuity uh, their future earnings, but what a clever way to pay for school and uh, or pay for expenses. I think People want to take the risk of betting on a young person and being involved in their mentorship through voting. Uh, what a great experiment. Um, and a uh, person could always just go 
work at DoorDash and make $60,000 a year and, and pay down their $20,000 advance pretty quickly. So uh, great job getting this one. And uh, congratulations. You have Thank now you. moved out of your parents' basement. Yes, don't say where I you live. Have. Don't say where you live, but not congratulations. We can hear Thank the you. horns blaring. Uh, so you're not in the boondocks anymore. You're in a major city. <laughs> and congratulations yeah. on a new look and feel for your studio. No more dogs, unfortunately, in my background anymore. I know everybody <laughs> absolutely loves seeing the dogs and hearing the dogs bark. But now yeah. you get car horns. Now you're going to get car horns, ambulances, and people. Yeah. Deranged people. Yeah. yeah, you we will get the nice, yellers. We get one. We have one local yeller down below. Very As fun. somebody who spent time in the city where you're now living, uh, noise-canceling headphones, sound machine, air purifier, you put two or three of these things together and you get a good night's sleep. That's all. Blackout awesome. curtains, uh, you'll get there. All right. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Great job, Rachel, and enjoy the OK Thank Boomer you. section as we have on Friday. OK, everybody, quick plug of something we like to do to help the founder community. Uh, both of our founder.university iterations are coming up in February. We do two types of founder universities. One is a two-day intensive course. This one is for female founders only, women founders only. You'll get lessons on running and optimizing your startup, free legal advice from our friends at Wilson Sonsini, candid feed pitchback from me, and more. It's February 14th and 15th, and you can apply at intensive.founder.university. Apply at intensive.founder.university. It's our two-day intensive. Again, we're trying to meet more female founders so we can invest in them. And by having a dedicated event just for women, we do other ones for underrepresented founders and just for everybody. We want to see a little more change in the ecosystem. And this is how we are able to find and recruit more women uh, to invest in. Then we're going to have our 12-week cohort number two. You may have heard me talk about we created a 12-week course. It's essentially free. I'll explain that in a moment. We just finished our first founder you cohort and I've invested in some of the companies. So now we're doing cohort two. The first co cohort, we had 100 people start. I think 94 finished uh, or 95 will finish. This time, we're going to try to double it to 200. Cohort one had a company accepted into launch accelerator before even completing the course, which means we put $100,000 into that company. The deadline to apply is February 14th. It kicks off two weeks later on February 28th. You can apply for the 12-week course, which happens at night. Um, it's twice a week. You can do it if you have a full time job is course.founder.university course.founder.university. You can find out more about both programs at founder.university. And please follow twitter.com slash founder uni. Uh, and we're really starting to up our social game founder uni is pretty active. And for the 12 week course, we charge people $700 to reserve their spot. And if they come to all 12 weeks, or have an excused absence for a week or two, we just charge them back their $700. Happy to report, I think in this last class, 96 out of 100 people completed the course. So I think or something like that. So we'll, we'll charge like five people for uh, burning the spot on the course and not completing it. And so if you complete it, it's free, it's on me. If not, we charge you. It's just basically a way for us to make sure people don't apply and uh, not show up. Okay, great job to the team at Founder University. Good job, uh, Charlie and Jackie. Thank you so much, Alex, for coming on the show. So I first met Alex Masmaj after doing some research on Twitter, asking people for the best Gen Z who knows about the NFT space, and your name came up time and time again. And similarly to a previous guest we had, Irafili Gunari, he is an international founder, and he also lives in London. And originally, he's from France, where you are right now, currently, right? Um, and that is awesome. You've done quite a lot of things, and I want to dive into a ton of them because I think they are all very relevant. 
I went to Art Basel and everybody was talking about NFTs there. And I met a bunch of young people interested in the space. So I thought it'd be really fun to have someone on our age talk about it. I actually saw you when you were in the media for raising $20,000 on Ethereum by tokenizing yourself. (laughs) And the catch was that investors could vote on your life choices. And I thought that was so crazy. Um, But I also saw that you were the co-founder and CEO of the Web3 social network Showtime. I guess let's start off with your social token. So Gen Z is all over monetizing their lives now. More commonly by like vlogging or TikToking, not necessarily by making a token of themselves. Uh, you're just doing it in a really different and cool way. Can you explain to everybody what it means to tokenize yourself, I guess, first? Sure. Thanks for having me, Rachel. So yeah, um, I guess uh, a year and a half ago, I was in this bedroom in Paris that I am right now. And COVID just had happened. And like most of my savings in crypto went down and I had basically no money to fulfill my dream of being a Gen Z founder, uh, especially in San Francisco, raising money, finding a co-founder, launching a startup, like all of those things I felt like were taken away from me because of COVID and my little savings. And so what I did is I was part of the Ethereum community for maybe six months at that time. And I met a lot of people mm-hmm. and I had learned. So that was in 2019. I had learned about DAOs, NFTs, uh, DeFi, basically two years before this massive boom that we're saying this year. Uh, and so I was like, cool. It seems like I could try to do something innovative. And um, I originally had created like a token for someone to fly me out to oh a conference uh, a year earlier. It was kind of crazy. Uh, like a stranger sent me money because of a tweet. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was, that was so crazy. Okay, everybody, I want to tell you about one of the original innovators in the no-code space, and that's Bubble. Bubble empowers anyone to design and launch their own apps, marketplaces, or tools without any coding skills or pricey engineers. Mary Fox is a launch portfolio founder. She's amazing. And she quit her six-figure job after she discovered Bubble to build her professional coaching startup, and that's called Marlowe. Bubble offers a digital editor and cloud hosting platform starting at just $29 a month. Can you believe it? Users can build almost any complex web app from a SaaS tool to social networks, and they could spend way less time building out their MVP, the minimum viable product that you need to raise money. Bubble utilizes drag and drop elements in their visual editor so you can go from an idea to a launchable product in just days or weeks, not months or quarters or even years. And They handle all the boring stuff like deployment and hosting so you can focus on your product and your customers, which is really what's important. Bubble has over 1 million users for a reason, and they enable over 1 billion in business volume. So here's a simple call to action. Bubble is offering you one month free on any of their paid plans, and that ranges from the entry-level $29 a month plan all the way up to the $529 a month plan. But act fast because they're only offering this deal for the first 500 redemptions. So head to bubble.io slash twist and snag one of those 500 coupons. B-U-B-B-L-E dot I-O slash twist. And so after that, like a company called Roll, which is Mm -hmm. the OG social token company, reaches out to me and say, wow, like you created your own cryptocurrency for like sending you to the US. That's crazy because we're pitching this to creators every day uh, and you're doing it yourself way before anyone. And they were like, why don't you create your own token uh, called Alex and make it more general? And so, you know, I thought about this, but to me, it was never necessary until 
I have no money. It is COVID. <laughs> and like, there is no other opportunity right now unless I create my own. And so that's when in March 2020, basically the last ever conference before COVID shuts down is luckily in Paris. It's called ECC oh Paris. And I'm given main stage because, you know, I'm French. I know the organizers and like, maybe it was too much for my presence at the time, but I got main stage. And so I was very excited and I was like, okay, this is now or never. <laughs> I have to do a splash with social tokens and be the first person to raise a tiny bit of money so I can afford lawyer and visa and also go to San Francisco, start a company. And so I did. Uh, and it went viral, which was super cool. Um, we went on like Barstool Sports and oh my goodness. I got an article in Forbes and like, it was very funny to be like a public figure for like a few months going on tons of podcasts and stuff. So anyway, yeah, the initial pitch is $20,000 against a tiny bit of my future salary. So I think it's 15% of my future salary disbursed in the next three years. So I'm still doing this right now. It's like, I think halfway in at this point. And I was like, yeah, like help me get into the US. This is the Alex token and I'll do a ton more of experiments later on. And the other one that kind of got viral was basically, um, a, a very famous influencer in the Ethereum community is Austin Griffiths, who's like a famous developer. And he was like, let's do like, you know, voting based on a token. And why don't you be the example, Alex, like a lightweight example? And he was like, let's do something kind of fun and crazy. And I thought of controlling my life for one month. You can pick one habit of mine. So this was July 2020. And I let people choose between like eating red meat. No, sorry. Uh, being vegan for a month or waking up at 6 a.m. or running three miles a day, mm -hmm. uh, like most of the week, like five times a week. And then, or solely living off cryptocurrencies. Like I can only spend money in cryptocurrencies and wow. people picked running three miles. So I was literally running almost every day, like five times a week, uh, three miles for the entire month of July 2020. That was kind of a crazy. Uh, month and I guess they kind of people chose the most painful thing anyway so that's that's for the Alex token and then like it helped me get uh, unique insights that mm -hmm. I think I'm applying to short time today my startup and so I think it was super helpful for me and life-changing really I guess that's a good way to hold yourself accountable because having having other people <laughs> decide that for yeah. you is that overall experience I guess still going on are you still having to spend all your money in crypto and run three miles a day or is that project no, no, kind no. of died out <laughs> That was just like once for one month. But okay. I think because it kind of went viral and this was like the other use case after the income sharing agreement of $20,000, I think people still like poked at it. I think I was inspired by Mike Merrill, who is the original mm -hmm. person who did this with fiat, with dollars 10 years ago. And now he has his own show on Amazon Prime. Uh, but like I just got inspired. This was a one month gimmick, nothing more. That is actually crazy. So congratulations. <laughs> that sounds yeah. really, really cool. I actually Thank did you. listen to a podcast that you were on after this. I think it was Pomp's podcast while you were <laughs> on this whole media run. So everybody else gets their, what is that? Their five minutes of fame and you get your, your it feels like six <laughs> months of fame. I feel like you were all over the news when that first happened, which is very cool. And you mentioned that they would get part of your salary. So first off, that is a, a pretty big chunk of your salary, right? 15% is what you said. Do people just have to like trust that you're giving them the accurate salary or do you have to like put out your own financial information for people to see? Because I feel like that is very not um, intrusive, but um, 
I don't know how much I would feel, how comfortable I would necessarily feel putting information like that out there. So this is the number one question I got oh, really? every time I, I hopped on podcasts, etc. And this is so fascinating because this is where, this is why I started Showtime. Because it was like, wait, there is no way I have to give out my tax returns. Yeah. Also like full disclosure, at the time when I created my token, I had zero jobs. I only had worked <laughs> at DAOs who gave me grants. Okay. So I was literally living in like the crypto Web3 native bubble before anyone else. Showtime is my first job, basically. It is so funny that essentially I was just getting some tokens. And when I cashed out to fiat, 15% would go to my shareholders and I would just airdrop them in crypto. So it was a very clunky mess of system. Now I have, I'm a CEO, I have a salary. And so it's much easier to disburse my income mm -hmm. and tell them how much I'm making. But it is not on chain. It is not something that I cannot cheat on. Like it is a smart contract that I cannot cheat on. This would be the ideal way. And this is when after I did the Alex token, I was like, wait a minute, NFTs are booming. And this is a way to be sure as a shareholder in someone that this is the money they're making and that this is my fair share out of that money they're making. Mm -hmm. And so this is why NFTs are so fascinating and why I'm starting Showtime because it was like, NFTs solve this problem. NFTs is a traceable source of income for creators that I could not do myself. And I had to like do this like awkward thing. It's okay for me because it was just $20,000. It was a very tiny amount. Yeah. And this was filled by 30 people most of them I know, and others were just like Twitter fans, I guess. <laughs> that was a question that was kind of hard. And so my answer is like a fiat, this poor thing thing, but it was not perfect. But NFTs make it way better. So I guess at first, I thought this was like an insane idea. But the more and more I think about it, the more I can kind of put this to what Gen Z's are already doing. I, kind of, I think I mentioned like TikTok a few minutes ago. So you know how TikTok, you get um, that monetization platform. I kind of feel like it's very similar where the audience is controlling their lives in sense of the uh, content that performs the best is the stuff that'll probably go viral and in turn give them money. So I don't think what you did was very far off than what's already happening. And I think yours is a way better way of transparency, like you said, with being able to track and see where everything is coming from and going to. I think that's a very, very interesting place to be. And I've seen a bunch of other people Definitely after you, I think you were the first person I saw who did a token with like the dollar sign in their name and their bio. Now you see a ton of people doing that. I think Nick Cho was the one after your Korean dad is his name on uh, Twitter, but I saw he did it after you. So I can see this catching on, especially in the influencer space and in the content creation space. I saw you mentioned a Web3 social network, which is what you call your startup, I want to pivot over there. Because as you said, that is your first job being a CEO, which is not very common. That definitely was not my first job out of college. <laughs> and in the description, it says a Web3 social network. What is a Web3 social network? And how does it differ than the social networking that we're doing currently? For sure. So I guess I call this because, you know, my audience on Twitter is like tech savvy. And so this is why like Web3 is like this common word. Uh, to differentiate, I guess a web social network is a social network where you are financially independent. Mm -hmm. And I think like social tokens play a part in that because, you know, as you said, like on TikTok and other platforms, like you are basically like subject to the platform's discretion to, you know, monetize on your behalf. And so it's, it's very feudal. It's kind of like a monarchy 
when you don't own anything. And as weird as it sounds, creating your own token means like you are owning your micro economy in a way. And so to me, a web three social network is a social network that's based on things that you actually own. And what you actually own, you can sell online and you can profit from and actually getting the fair share of the work that you put online. So in a Web3 social network, your profile ID is your Ethereum address. Your content that you put out is NFTs and maybe some sort of rewards to your fans is social tokens. So the entire social graph that we know is getting replaced by blockchain primitives, by Web3 primitives. But to me, that's extremely exciting because it means that now you are economically independent. You Mm -hmm. are free to do and monetize your work as you wish without a platform taking 20%. The same way that in real life, you own a pair of shoe. If you sell it to your friend or to a stranger, like you don't have to give like, you know, a, a private company a massive amount of money. Like online, this is not the case. Everything that you do either is monetized on your behalf or you have to pay massive fees. You cannot exit the system. It's hard to give to people. So you don't have this sense of ownership. Uh, and ownership is everything in the world. It's, it's how, you know, investors get wealthy. It's how you actually get rights on governing or profiting of, of anything. And so excited to bring that concept online. I think NFTs is an awesome way of owning content. So to me, all social media content in the future will be NFTs. And I guess Showtime is trying to play a little part in spearheading that new movement. So, you know, we don't have social tokens yet at Showtime, mm-hmm. but Showtime is starting with NFTs as the content. And so every NFT on Showtime, you can like, comment, share, you can follow creators and follow all the NFTs on all blockchains. That is the primary value proposition today, but lots of exciting things to come very soon. That's awesome because we're already kind of seeing that, how you said owning something physical in real life and then also seeing it over on the web. So the first thing that comes to mind is that recent news with Nike. So just imagine like owning a pair of Jordans in real life and then having something digital kind of only represents a uh, not only like a cool asset to have like in the NFT world, but like an uh, authentication portion of it. Um, And even going previous to this, I feel like this is going to get really big because not only have we grown up necessarily in a digital world, but a lot of things I feel like secretively are, were already like this. So obviously you didn't grow up in the States, but there used to be these things called webkins. And the first thing I think about when I think about having something digital versus having something um, in the real world and having them kind of be connected is a webkins. It was this toy that you had when you were little, you bought a stuffed animal, right? Had a QR code or, um, like a bunch of letters, right? On the tag, you got to upload those letters on the tag and like your stuffed animal would come to life over on the computer. And it's funny because that existed back when I was a kid, I was in elementary school. And now that we're seeing things like this, it's kind of like, it's just going bigger and bigger and bigger. So I definitely see the growth in this space. I think my problem with NFTs initially was seeing like that utility aspect of it. I'm sure a bunch of people come with come to you and say, okay, like NFTs are really sexy right now, but what will the longevity be of them? And what is the actual utility? Uh, Can you speak to that? It is true because the original utility of an NFT right now is just that it's beautiful and it's art, just like traditional art. Mm -hmm. So sure, you may think that if you're not a fan of traditional art, you would not see value in digital art. But I think even if you're not a fan of, of art and like you don't buy it just because it's beautiful, 
at least what's objectively true is that the NFT space created digital art as a viable industry. Before digital artists would just not make money. Mm -hmm. They had to either do prints or like sell to a company, but they could not live off their digital art. And that changed. However, yes, it is true that like there is no utility behind besides being beautiful to look at and like to showcase it to your friends. But to me, it's a little adjacent to the attention economy of Web2 because if you have, you know, a famous digital artist that's releasing uh, to their fans and if their fans understand Web3, uh, they can actually sell for a high price, meaning that the more popular you are, the more likelihood of selling your NFT it is. So it is kind of similar to like the advertising model of Web2 where it's like the more impressions, the more valued it is by advertisers. So this is the current system, but it is true that there are a lot of startups currently starting that are about rewarding people for earning an NFT because the NFT is sort of a password. Basically, like I own this thing and I can prove it that it is mine so I can access a bunch of different things. And to mm -hmm. me, like the three big things that an NFT can access is a discount, an exclusive community. So like a Discord group chat or a Telegram group chat that is only for those holders. And if you sell your NFT, a bot will kick you out of that group chat. So it is very exclusive. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is exclusive content. So maybe like you get a VIP video, a high resolution photo, or accessing a website or something that is very new. But to me, yeah, it's like the utility of NFTs is as wide as websites. So like, I'm not sure what will be the next killer utility. I think there will be millions. But to me, accessing like, you know, community content, or a discount or a coupon to yeah. me is like probably most of those use cases. Totally, totally. I think the digital art aspect that you put to it, how difficult it was for artists um, to make money off of their digital art is a good point to make. I have been seeing that a lot of people have been saying that NFTs right now are just a hype mania and like you're too, you're too late to break in the, break into the game basically like if you buy one now <laughs> like you're it's going to be useless like you just you just put money down the drain. Do you think that like NFTs have a more promising future or do you think right now we're just in absolute mania mode and this is as good as it's going to get? Well, to me, it's funny to, to, to say this because uh, I feel like the entire planet will use NFTs the same way that everyone on earth is engaging with social media content. So right now, I think at most, really at the most, there might be five to 10 million people using NFTs. And I still think that it's more than the reality. So. It is a mania, like for the tiny amount of people who know how to use MetaMask, which is basically no one on earth. <laughs> so yeah, there is a micro, micro bubble for those people because they're like, Oh my God, like if I create an NFT, I can sell it for a much higher price than in 10 years when it's mainstream because I'm one of the few early ones. So those are kind of like the vinyl, vinyl, vinyl era mm -hmm. where like the, it's like the OGs, NFTs from like normal Ethereum from like the 2020s, like it will be a memory in the future. And so maybe that's why they will be so expensive. But yeah, I don't, shorter, maybe like maybe in a month or two, crypto will crash because it's quite cyclical and way more, way too much money have been spent there. Uh, but long-term, I think if we zoom out, NFTs are in a constant growth trajectory and this is not ending anytime soon. So yeah, maybe for now, if your NFT has no value, but the fact that it's very early in crypto, I think as time goes on, it will be less and less valuable. And you actually have to have either a very beautiful NFT 
or a very useful, hence utility is interesting to think about uh, NFT. So yeah, definitely there's, there's maybe a mania for useless NFTs, but I think <laughs> that's the case for anything in life. If there's yeah. no really utility or no one likes it, it won't be valuable. That's very, very true. I, like I said before, definitely the utility aspect of NFTs is just something I'm really excited to see in the future. And thank you so much for being able to talk so in depth about all of these. And again, thank you so much for coming along and talking with us, especially when you're on home, uh, visiting your <laughs> parents. That means a lot. Do you have any advice for those young people that are looking to break into the NFT space? I would say try to come up with something that is new and original. I feel like that was my process for the Alex to It's like, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm the first ever person in the world to do this. And because Web3 is so new, it's a blank canvas. Right now, besides buying and selling, there's almost nothing that was done in the NFT space. So try to do something new. And then maybe research a little bit the technology because we're very early. So if you're willing to do it now, probably you should learn about the technology and basically know a few steps ahead of like, okay, like I probably should not do it on layer one because it's very expensive and slow. So like what are some new kinds of blockchain on top of Ethereum and others that I can do that will be like more future proof? Awesome. So be forward looking plus also like do something original awesome thank you so much so i've i've i uh i thought for an nft so i'm gonna have to i'm gonna take it offline so nobody steals my idea but i want to talk <laughs> to you about it thank you so much again for speaking with thank us you so much, Rachel. really excited for jason to listen to this episode 